11 of Buddies Without Borders, the podcast that still lacks a tagline. My name is Stevie Jackson. I'm an actress, writer, and producer coming to you from Vancouver, BC, Canada. And my name is Christopher Royce. I am, let's see, this week, a writer, an editor, a producer, a graphic designer, <laughs> a typesetter, uh, doing many, many things. Uh, Listeners, in... I have to tell you, he's, it's like he's in a black void. Ooh, on I? my little on the little screen because yeah. I know there's like a backdrop behind you but it just it's very um uh who was that guy on PBS who's now been disgraced who would interview people at the table Charlie Rose Charlie Rose it's very Charlie Rose mm, yeah that's that's not a super compliment <laughs> uh it's very kevin pollock that was the thing that i was gonna think of as well the first uh five or six years I feel like of kevin, kevin got it from charlie <laughs> well i think the benefit of people not being part of the national conversation anymore is you can take credit for their <laughs> true work. true uh it's very very kevin pollock you just need the hat mm, true i don't think i yeah, have always a hat i might have a baseball cap somewhere it's probably in the car not the same not the same i'm not uh <laughs> I'm not as hat savvy as Mr. Pollock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, a very important question was raised in our last episode. Uh, and I oh. think it's the perfect place to start with this episode. Let's do it. Stevie, what is yes. your favorite dinosaur? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um... I, th I think maybe the pterodactyl. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because I know everyone says like Stegosaurus or Triceratops or Brontosaurus. But I, the pterodactyl can fly. It's the only <laughs> one that's still kind of among us. Sure. Because we still have birds, mm -hmm. which are basically modern day dinosaurs. Yeah, they're descended of yeah theropod dinosaurs. Yeah, I mean, I understand that the pterodactyl was not the only dinosaur that could fly. True. But it's the one whose name I know, and also I enjoy the spelling of it. <laughs> the pterodactyl. Pterodactyl. <laughs> <laughs> and the pteranodon. That's right. It's a pterodactyl. Mm -hmm. Stupid Greek um, names. Yeah, I think, I think probably pterodactyl is certainly the one I most enjoy saying. <laughs> Um, but I also like, I don't know, I kind of, I, I don't like the Raptors. Sure. Which is unfortunate because, of course, we have a sports team named after them in this country. Oh, yeah, that's right. The Toronto Raptors. Um, yeah, and I, the one, I forget what kind of dinosaur this was, but mm. in the original Jurassic Park, mm -hmm. the one that, that kills Wayne Knight's character, no Newman from Seinfeld. Yeah. The, the like, comes out of nowhere and, like, spits at him. Mm hmm yeah, that thing's terrifying. I don't like that at all. Yeah, I liked what they did with that in the movie. In the book, it's a little bit more scientifically accurate because those things were like 10 feet tall. And so mm. it wouldn't have been sort of the same, you know, relationship. It right. couldn't have gotten in the car uh, with right. him. Uh, so, you know, they made certain <laughs> decisions for um, for the sake of uh, visual presentation because a 10-foot dinosaur is inherently scary. There's no way around that. But uh, a That's true. little 4-foot, yeah. I don't know what the thing would have been, 40, 50-pound, you know, sized dinosaur is easier to maybe dismiss at the beginning and build tension in a scene. <laughs> yeah, and since they were, like, cloned dinosaurs, yeah, like, recreated, I guess I'll buy that they could sort of breed them for size. 
you know, sure. like a toy poodle, but with dinosaurs. Yeah, or it could have been a juvenile. Yeah. They didn't establish how old the thing was. That's a good point. Yeah. I've never read the book, so uh, I'm I, my knowledge of Jurassic Park comes a, a, exclusively from, I guess, the first two movies? Yeah, that's pretty much all and, you need. And I haven't seen... I've only seen the second one once, like when it came out. Yeah. So most of my knowledge comes from Jurassic Park, which I think I watched about a year ago. I just sort of got, it just felt like it, it was like, I really, really <laughs> feel the need to watch Jurassic Park. Fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, and I, one thing I really appreciated, and I think it was because Jurassic World or whatever had come out sort of around the time, mm-hmm. like the newest Jurassic Park movie. Yeah. And they were talking about the footwear on the women. Yep. And I went back and looked at the original, and and I just so appreciated how Laura Dern was dressed. Yeah, like she had boots on. Yeah, and she had like she was dressed appropriately for the activity that she was meant to be doing. Yes, she was dressed like a paleobotanist because she was a paleobotanist. <laughs> yeah, like she had like you know steel toe steel toe boots and some shorts and mm-hmm. like she her clothes made sense. Yeah, and she didn't have any sort of elaborate hairstyle. Like you believed that that she was ready to take a tour of a dinosaur park and maybe do some hiking yeah um and apparently maybe run away from some dinosaurs and save some lives Uh, but Mm -hmm. that's so rare yeah uh on television and in film for women i think it's a little more common in film where it used to be that people would be more appropriately dressed on tv though like sometimes i watch cop shows and yeah which i know are problematic and i'm not getting into that conversation but the number (laughs) of women running around in heels I'm like, that's a against regulation. They would never be allowed to wear that. Yeah. Um, and even if it's like a like an ankle boot with a heel, it's like, yeah, you're not you're not chasing down criminals in in three inch heels. Like yeah. you should not be running in those. And it makes you wonder like how many how many actresses have, you know, gotten hurt running in a scene where they should have had proper footwear on. Well, the other thing that I notice a lot to that point is in like wide shots in action movies, you'll see mm-hmm. women wearing different footwear than in yeah. close-ups. <laughs> you know, like um, trying to think, there was a movie I can't remember what it was. It might have been one of the Mission Impossible movies, one of Tom Cruise's female co-stars, where like their height changed radically in a two-shot mm-hmm. versus a wide because she was wearing different shoes. But it just yeah. in general, like if you see a woman like running down the street after a criminal, in that shot, she's wearing you know certain shoes but then mm-hmm. in another i i don't know i i do i do get that that's like an individual preference thing and i have listened to enough podcasts like ali ward's ologies to learn that there are plenty of women in stem who also like fashion or whatnot and so might wear heels around the lab but if you're talking about oh, a person sure. doing yeah. field work like let's yeah. go ahead and give that character the credit that they're practical minded well, that's just it. And I, I definitely see them running in heels on camera. I mean, yeah. I think one of the best and most famous examples of it is Gillian Anderson yeah. on the X-Files mm-hmm. because I don't think they ever changed her shoes. Yeah. for Like, she ran in heels a lot, and she seemed to be actually running in heels, even in the wide shots. Yikes. Um, yeah. But part of that is she's small, right? Mm-hmm. She's like 5'2", five, 5'3". Five, yeah. Um, and her co-star was... Six one maybe I don't I don't know David Duchovny's height but I'd say they were about a foot apart. Yeah, like he's around six feet, maybe six one. Yeah, six two at most. Um, so part of it was keeping their heights making some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But even, I mean, they failed at that regularly because especially once you know about the contraption known as the Jilly Ramp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we might have talked about this you before. You start to it's understand. Such a fun idea of like how, yeah. you, how you compose a shot first and then <laughs> fix it on the day <laughs> after. Well, I think, you know, after it, the first few episodes, they had to know this was coming. Yeah. Um, and it tended to be used when they were walking up to someone or walking up to a door mm. or something so that they arrived at kind of a suitable height for the shot. Yeah. But yeah, for, for listeners, if you don't know, there's a contraption used at least in film in Vancouver. And I imagine it made its way to L.A. because that show was the late, later years were produced in L.A. Um, but there's a, a particular type of ramp called the Jilly Ramp that was developed specifically for Gillian Anderson on The X-Files because she was so much shorter than her co-star. Shout out to shorties. I am not short shaming. I am one of you. Um, <laughs> but it's basically, it was a ramp that gradually, she could walk along it and it raised gradually enough that you didn't really notice that she was getting taller. And by the end of the ramp, she'd kind of be at the height she needed to be <laughs> for the close-up shot. <laughs> and it's still referred to that way. In fact, it's in a film, film terminology book that I have. There is actually, it's defined as the Jilly Ramp and, you know, designed for Gillian Anderson on the X-Files, and this is what it does. And now it's used for short actors, I guess, <laughs> uh, at least in our local film industry. Yeah, there's probably a lot of uh, a lot of call for something like that. Yeah, well, and I think it was, it was basically to avoid her having to walk somewhere and then step up on an Apple box. Like, that's too obvious. Sure, yeah. That she's walked up and then clearly gotten on like stepped up six inches all at once like going up a stair yeah and so they made this thing that just sort of gradually got her to where she needed to be it's brilliant it's a oh yeah it's great but once you know it exists if you watch the episodes you could look for it <laughs> and you know when it's often you know when it's being used <laughs> that's a funny easter egg yeah like you can't see it you never see the ramp itself they're, you know, that's, I don't mean equipment is visible. I mean, you can sort of watch her get graduated. Like, oh, jilly ramp. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else have you been on uh, lately during uh, quarantine times? Oh, uh, well, actually, I've not been watching the X-Files. That was just a memory I had. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have watched, I watched uh, all of season two of Dirty John. Okay. I think you talked about the first season of that maybe a while back. Maybe. Yeah. The second season is, it's okay. I didn't like it as much. Um, I have a really hard time believing. Uh, I don't want this to come out wrong. Um, so uh, first I'm going to stipulate that Amanda Peet is an excellent actress and is doing an excellent job. Stipulated. Stipulated. Um, however, I have trouble buying her in that role okay because it's the the betty buckley story okay and i have trouble believing that her kind of nothing husband would leave amanda pete yeah yeah that's the thing <laughs> that, that makes sense like mm -hmm. that he left her for someone more attractive and it was kind of i didn't i just felt like why would you bother like, you're, you're not going to do a whole lot better, dude. Um, <laughs> I just, I feel she's doing an amazing job. I think she is miscast in that she is too pretty and they didn't do anything about it for some of what we're expected to believe goes on with that character. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think that, that happens a lot yeah. across the board. I, but that's that's what I would characterize as like a network TV thing. Like, why is I everyone also think, pretty? Yeah, I think I'm wrong about Betty Buckley, though. Oh, okay. It's Betty something. It's a famous case, and it does. It's I mix. I mixed the names up, so now I have to look it up, <laughs> and I apologize. But because Betty Buckley came out, and I, I think that might—I think that's wrong. Um, I'm trying not to do like, um, yeah, thank you, like fill time, vamp for me. I'm trying not to leave dead air. Uh, Betty Broderick, that's it. Yeah, I always go. want to call her Betty Buckley, which is a totally different person. It has nothing to do with this. Betty Broderick, Christian Slater, however. Mm does play the husband. Okay. Um, and I, oh, I, I'd forgotten maybe how good Christian Slater is because I hated him so much in this role. Okay. Again, not because he was doing a bad job, but because he was doing such a good job. Yeah, like yeah. I just constantly wanted to strangle him <laughs> for what a terrible person he was and then trying to remind myself like, no, no, Christian Slater's not evil. You've seen Untamed Heart. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was also evil in Heathers, but like he, you know, he's he's done his time playing a bad boy, but it hasn't all been that. He's been plenty evil in plenty of places, and <laughs> he has, and he he plays that duality really well. Like he he had a show a few years ago, um, before Do No Harm came out, which was about a doctor who sort of was his his own evil twin. Mm, um, sure, <laughs> there um, there was a show. A few years before that, called My Own Worst Enemy. Oh, I think I remember. And it was the same for that. concept. It was a Jekyll and Hyde concept, and it was Christian Slater. Mm -hmm. And it didn't run very long. Sure. Um, but he did a really good job of playing that Jekyll and Hyde. Thing. And it was it was kind of the same thing. Like he was one person at night and another person in the morning, <laughs> basically. Sure. Like he was just a, his person. He, every time he went to sleep, his personality changed, which I think was the same on Do No Harm. Hmm. Um, and it was for some reason going to sleep made you Jekyll or Hyde. He's the REM killer. <laughs> I guess. But he was always awake at the time because I think one of the things was like he was always exhausted and didn't know why. <laughs> oh, like, well, well, that's a symptom of you're like never sleeping. dissociative identity disorder patients. That's, that's it. That. Yeah. yeah. That's probably what it was because he, like, he was one person mm -hmm. at night and yeah. then he would wake up as the other person. Um, do no harm though. I feel like they attributed it to type 1 diabetes and the whole time I was like, what? You're that what? does not change your personality. But I what mean, if it did? If your blood sugar's too high or too low, it can affect how you feel and your behavior and you might get cranky. Like, you know, yes, there's there's an impact of that. But not like this. <laughs> like, but what if it did? <laughs> but it doesn't. And it does a disservice probably to type ones to imply that it is that it does anything like that. That's um, epic and it ridiculous. also just doesn't it, doesn't make medical sense at all um anywho uh i i so i enjoyed that but i think i enjoyed season one a bit more um and then oh i've been watching marcella okay which i highly recommend um marcella is um it's a british basically procedural it's kind of in in the it lives in the same world as like uh, Prime Suspect or Line of Line of Duty, mm -hmm. uh, where they follow sort of one case for a season. Okay, and their seasons are very short; they're eight episodes, um, and it's 
it centers on a, a female detective who comes back to work after about 10 years of being a mom. Mm. And um, you sort of follow her journey. I don't want to spoil any of it because there are a lot of things I did not see coming. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, in particular, the reveal of who the perpetrator is at the end of season two, I did not see coming. I thought I knew <laughs> and I was so wrong. And I didn't like they it's it's rare that a show gets me like that and they got me um in retrospect i guess that other person was definitely a red herring but i don't want to say any more than that because <laughs> i don't want people to know uh and i i've just at the beginning of season three now which is like she's undercover this season Ooh. as a totally different person it's quite something but it's it's anna Friel, mm -hmm. and it took me forever to place her oh okay <laughs> I I know her, I realized eventually from Pushing Daisies. Um, but I did not know that she was British. <laughs> so yeah. she looked familiar, but she, of course, sounds different. Um, and it's been, I don't know, how long has it been since Pushing Daisies? Like 10 years? Oh, so, probably closer to 20. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I feel very old now. I'm going to have to look it up. Um, Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I got it on DVD from the library a few years ago and, and rewatched the whole thing. Oh. I'd totally forgotten that Paul F. Tompkins did an episode. 2007 to 2009. It was... Uh, okay, so about I 10 thought. years yeah. since it ended. Yeah. Um, some of the people who guest starred on that, oh man, <laughs> and the like the set design and like the, the art department in general did a phenomenal job on that show. Um, anyway, I, I just... I, and Anna Friel played the lead woman she played chuck um and i didn't it didn't recognize her from that until i finally looked it up on imdb because i thought i've seen her in something and it must be something british because i watch a lot of that stuff and no it turns out pushing daisies so kudos to her on the american accent because <laughs> often when i hear a british person doing an american accent i'm like mm, especially in a british drama yeah it's never right there are some um, real gratuitous ones, and uh, there's a couple that popped to mind. I don't know if it's the nicest thing to like start calling can, people out, but can, when a British person does a horrible American accent, it is real obvious and real distracting. It is something to see. Can I tell you my favorite one? Go for it. And I won't. I don't know the actor's name off the top of my head, so I won't call anyone out. But it's um, <laughs> I saw it in, in high school, so it's quite old. Huh? I think it was high school. We were. We were reading, uh, we were doing Dracula. Okay. And there's a British version of Dracula. I th I'm trying to remember if it was film or television. I don't, I'm not sure. Anyway, so there is an American character in Dracula named Quincy. Okay. And I think he's supposed to be from Texas. Sure. And so he had like a big cowboy hat and cowboy boots and also a suit, as I recall. Yeah. And it was clearly a British person <laughs> trying to do a, a Texan accent. And it was bad. It was so bad that it was all we could think about when he was on screen. Like, we would be watching the movie in class, as you do. <laughs> like, you read the thing, and then you watch the movie, and you discuss. And we just, we couldn't get over it. And also, the best part of that entire version is where Quincy gets, like, run over by a cart or something on the street. <laughs> and somebody runs up to him, and he's, like, been run over by a cart. Someone runs up to him and is like, Quincy, are you hurt? <laughs> yes! Nope. No, I'm fine. <laughs> of, co of course he is. What's wrong with you? Go get help. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. But it's it sticks in my mind as the absolute worst 
example, like just just hire an American or even a Canadian. Like or, just hire someone. <laughs> or a a dialect coach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just hire someone to fix it because no. <laughs> almost, been, almost said speech therapist, and I was like, "Wait, no, that's wrong. Hang on, that's wrong. <laughs> Need to search further." <laughs> Dialect coach is correct. Yeah, um, but no, I have that feeling a lot with uh, watching a lot of like sci-fi and fantasy, where actors mm-hmm. aren't as visually recognizable or their voice is altered. You know, people get prosthetics or they're painted green or whatever. Sure. You see somebody yeah. in some cosmic comic book setting and like. That person, I think, feels familiar, but I have no way to place what they're doing. (laughs) And I feel like that phenomenon is only going to become more pronounced with like motion capture and, you know, more and more digital technology as you like see people being de-aged or aged up Mm -hmm. like that people getting layered under not just physical makeup effects, but computer makeup effects. Yeah, because I I knew... I knew her name. Mm-hmm. Like I knew the name Anna Friel. Um, but I couldn't remember where I knew it from. And I I have a real thing for British miniseries. <laughs> so I thought I might have seen her in Great Expectations. I might yeah. have seen her in The Crimson Petal and the White. I might have seen, like there's so many of them. And you know, I'm British and, and Irish films that I've seen. And I just, I apparently have kind of a thing for the UK. Yeah. Per, perhaps it's related to my ancestry all being from there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really couldn't place her. And then when I found, because I was scrolling through her IMDb going, no, nope, no, nope. no, no, no. <laughs> I, the, I have done and that. And I saw a pushing, lot. yeah, I saw pushing daisies. I was like, oh, I mean, of course. But my, well, my favorite IMDb scroller, nope, 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 ever was Mamie Gummer. I don't even know that name. It, Ah, so I had seen her on, I think, an episode of The Good Wife or something at the time. Mm. And she was so familiar. I was positive I knew this actress from something. Positive. But I could not place her. And so I scrolled through her her entire IMDb. I was like, no, 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 no. What the hell? What the? And then I looked at the biography. Uh And it says, daughter of Meryl Streep and Don Gummer. And I went, oh, f- she looks exactly like her mother. There you go. Just like 30 years younger. Yeah. What I'm, I don't recognize Mamie Gummer. I recognize Meryl Streep from the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I did that Yeah, with, then it all made sense. <laughs> I had not exactly that, but sort of the cousin experience of that, which is being certain that I recognize someone. I can't remember who it was, but scrolling through their IMDb multiple times, Wikipedia, you know, yep. and just sort of had to settle for, I guess this person just looks like someone else. And I'm conflating. Sometimes that's all it is. There's something about them <laughs> with somebody else and could not. I just had to give up. It was a very, oh, <laughs> it was a sad day. That's disheartening. <laughs> But maybe they do. Maybe they just look like someone. Yeah. 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 Um, what have you been watching, doing, reading, etc.? Uh, not anything too crazy. I definitely watched Hamilton twice this week. Oh, uh, wow. Well, the last week and a half. Because we can't. You've uh, now seen it more than I have. I, I think that was my <laughs> ninth and tenth times. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> <laughs> we can't let an episode go by without talking about it. Apparently not. I, I gave up Disney Plus just recently oh, for did a while. You, you so. quit cold turkey? Well, yeah, I'll get it back eventually. But it's, I just can't pay for all the streaming services all the time. Yeah. 
It was like, look, I've seen Hamilton. I saw a couple of DuckTales. I revisited some old cartoons. I'm good for a bit. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I'm looking at anything that I watched recently that was really great. Um, oh, I rewatched a movie called The Founder. Do you know this movie? It's Michael Keaton. McDonald's, yeah. He's yeah. playing Ray Kroc, who was the, not the founder, but the popularizer of the McDonald's chain. Yes. And the guy who kind of took the credit. Basically. Uh, yeah. I mean, if the movie's to be believed. But um, the two original McDonald guys are played by John Carroll Lynch and um, Nick Offerman. Oh, cool. And they're the <laughs> ones who come up with the speedy system and basically yes. invent fast food. And so that mm-hmm. so that's sort of it's not the whole first act of the movie because they don't come into it for about 20 minutes. But that part of the movie mm-hmm. I just find so infinitely fascinating because they do this really interesting thing. They I don't know if this actually happened, but it probably did because it's really specific. They essentially went to a tennis court with some multicolored mm-hmm. chalk and drew out the floor plan of a kitchen and then brought their employees in and choreographed how they could make food really quickly. Here's the fry station. Wow. Here's the milkshake station. Here's the grill. Here's where we, you know, use this custom designed ketchup squirter that can do multiple <laughs> buns all at once. And then they like tested it for a whole day and figured out the mm-hmm. exact right way to put it together. And it was, it was fascinating. Huh. I, I would have, that actually is, that is smart. I would enjoy a documentary <laughs> about those guys. I mean, the movie was great, but that was, once you get past sort of the second half of the movie, Michael Keaton's character becomes so much more of like an anti-hero because he's being successful mm-hmm. and he's, uh, his wife is played by Laura Dern and we don't want to see her done dirty, but that's definitely, nope. <laughs> they, they do not have a happy ending. Uh, and so it's sort of like, are we... <laughs> I don't think we're supposed to be rooting for this guy, but he's being outrageously successful, screwing over, you know. (laughs) He's the Walter White of fast food. Yeah, he kind of is the Tony Soprano of fast food. Yeah, I don't I shouldn't be rooting for this guy because what he's doing is wrong, but he's really good at it. Yeah. And so it's some of that was fun to watch. And also, I mean, Michael Keaton's such a great actor. Like, I definitely want to watch him and everything he Mm -hmm. does. Very compelling (laughs) movie. But it's still like there's oh, now they're talking about the part where we're using um, I can't remember what it is, but the powdered milk in milkshakes to save Mm -hmm. cost on freezers because we don't have have to have ice cream. And like, it's a great boon for his business. But it's also like I I have already read ahead in the book. So I know that he's causing like millions and millions of people to be very unhealthy with the success Mm, of this restaurant chain. Yeah. So you're like, what, what's in this milkshake? It's not ice cream. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's it's not right. And the, the woman, well, it's a couple who present him with this information and they're Patrick Wilson and Linda Cardellini. And like, I like both of these people. What is this movie doing to me? I got to see this movie. I like this cast. It's on Netflix right now. I'll check the Canadian one and see if it is. Yeah, it, um, yeah. it's a movie I've been. We don't have everything. Yeah, no, I know. It's a movie that I've been looking for for like a year or so. It keeps coming up in my like, oh, I really want to watch that movie again, but I mm-hmm. don't want to pay four dollars or whatever it is to rent. Right. And so it came up on Netflix. Um, I guess the first of the month we're recording is the first week of September, and mm-hmm. um, I started it at like eleven thirty. I was like, fuck it, I want to watch this movie. Eleven thirty at night. Uh-huh. I would absolutely fall asleep. Yep. Well, you're <laughs> still working for a living. I have a different schedule. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Do you know what What else I watched recently that I'd wanted to see for years and just had never gotten to, partly because it's really long? Yeah. Zodiac. Oh, you'd never seen that? 
I'd never seen it because it's almost three hours long. Mm -hmm. And every time I would, like, it would come up on, it's on Amazon in Canada. Yeah. And every time it would come up, I'd be like, I'm too tired to start something this long. Like, I wanted to watch it all the way through. I really... I'm not a person who likes to watch half a movie yeah, I, I and then feel that pick it sure. up later. I just I don't like that. Mm-hmm. I've done it, but I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Usually I've done it when I start a movie thinking I'll make it through <laughs> and then get too tired. So I'd put it off, but then I guess last weekend, I think, yeah. I thought, you know what? I actually, I could do it. I have the time. I made popcorn. <laughs> and I sat down and watched Zodiac. And other than their as usual, not being enough women in it. Um, it's really good. It's really good. Um, and it, it needs all those minutes. Mm -hmm. Like it, I really never lost interest. Like it's very compelling. It's really, really good. Yeah. I remember being really deliberative to like the pace of it. Yeah. It's not pulse pounding excitement. So it's not a, maybe I'll make this, maybe I won't (laughs) in the evening kind of movie. No, and I, I was also surprised by uh, how compelling it was, given that I went in knowing, like, you've still never identified the Zodiac Killer yeah. positively. We still don't know. Yeah. There are, you know, about three good suspects that they mm-hmm. go through thoroughly in the film. And you, you come out of it knowing, like, we probably know. Yeah, that's sort of what the don't, movie settles is. we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's, because often I find that frustrating in true crime because yeah. it, it's not it's not usually a problem in fictional crime because <laughs> they basically always solve it for you um like no one they might leave it open-ended season to season but it's only going to happen if it's you know a television show that doesn't get renewed yeah. and then maybe you never find out but that's it's pretty rare usually your fictional crimes get solved but true crimes that don't get solved i find very frustrating because like why don't we know and this could still be solved um, although I think Zodiac is probably past solving at this point Maybe. beyond what they've done. Yeah. Well, he's almost certainly dead. So that helps, yeah. you know, like he's not still out there. It makes <laughs> us feel better. Yeah. At least he's probably he's not still killing and he's, he's either dead or too old. So, um, yeah, but it was, it's really, it's good. I recommend it. But yeah, I was listening to the Bechtelcast episode on Inception just dropped this week and Inception mm-hmm. ends, this isn't a spoiler, but it ends with a little bit of uncertainty and mm-hmm. I was thinking more about that in the context of Caitlin and Jamie's conversation and just sort of like reaffirming to myself a thing that I have said out loud before, which is I don't understand the point of that from a creator perspective. Like hmm. you're purposefully leaving your story open ended. I mean, I, I kind of get the idea of I want the audience to have their own experience with this. Mm-hmm. But for or me, to think about it. Yeah. But for me as a writer, yeah. like the ending is sort of like the most important part the second most important part is the beginning (laughs) so if you don't have the answer why are you telling why do you think the story is done how how it how is it that you can feel like your story is done like it's it's not just judgment it's not just that I disagree I'm just I don't understand that mindset as a writer I sort of get it in inception because of what inception is well sure yeah (laughs) but in general I tend to agree with you yeah um I mean, it, it it really depends. Like, interestingly, The X-Files came up earlier, yeah. and that show famously left a lot of its cases open. Oh, yeah, yeah. On the other hand, though, usually they told the audience, even if they didn't tell Mulder and Scully. And that's a really critical difference, I would say, is there's a difference yeah. between what the audience knows and what the characters know. 
Yeah. I mean, the, I would say the, the pilot for sure is, is left pretty open-ended. Mm-hmm. Um, and although they bring, they brought those characters and those actors back like seven years later. <laughs> and I remember being kind of impressed that like you went and found those actors, some of whom haven't done much since. Um, I was impressed that they didn't recast them. Yeah. And that they like pulled them out of their day jobs or whatever. And <laughs> out of retirement. <laughs> it's like, no, we need you because you played this seven years ago and we, the, we, the audience will recognize you. They usually did that. And I actually, I like that in a show. If you're going to revisit an old storyline, mm-hmm. it always annoys me if they recast. Um, yeah. But a lot of their cases were left somewhat open-ended, although their idea of open-ended tended to be the monster is still out there. Yeah. Not, we don't know what, what happened. Yeah. And I I do actually kind of like that for a TV show, I guess, which is the characters sort of you have your epilogue scene right before the credits and the characters. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess maybe we'll never whatever. And then the camera pans across and gives us the answer behind the character. I like that beat in storytelling. Mm -hmm. And that's really different from the way that a movie like Inception supposedly ends, which is just completely up in the air and you have to decide for yourself. And the point of it is the character's experience of blah, blah, blah. It's not the whatever. I don't know. Stick around after the credits. I'll I'll give my spoiler (laughs) review of Inception, (laughs) even though that movie's 10 years old. All right, I'm not going to make y'all stick around to the very end of the show. We're just going to take care of this now through the magic of editing. Uh, so Inception, uh, again, I don't know why I'm being precious about this. This movie's a decade old, uh, but the answer isn't the top. The answer is Cobb's wedding ring. Uh, when they're in the dream sequences, he's wearing his wedding ring because he's still attached to his, uh, former wife and his marriage and his baggage of his past and all that stuff. But when they're in the real world, he's not wearing his wedding ring. So if you look at DiCaprio's hand in the last scene of the movie, no ring means it's the real world. There you go. Asked and answered. And now back to the show. I did not love that movie. <laughs> I, I get that. <laughs> I saw it. I saw it once in the theater. It was fine, I guess. I mean, I like Ellen Page. Yeah. So, And she was coming off Juno back then. Yeah, that was like three years later. Yeah, and I think she'd probably done Whip It in between. Mm, thereabouts. Which, I can't remember what year Whip It was. Might have been the next yeah, year. By the way, if you have not seen Whip It, listeners... Go see Whip It. It was directed by Drew Barrymore, Mm -hmm. and it takes place in the world of women's roller derby, Mm -hmm. and it's it's wonderful. (laughs) I just I love it. It's so good. Kristen Wiig, uh, Alia Shawkat, Juliette Lewis. Mm -hmm. Yep. Barrymore is in it herself as a really fun supporting character. (laughs) (laughs) But another perfect reason to do it. They're gonna feature it on the Bechtel cast this month. So never a better time. I'm surprised they haven't done it already. Well, there's lots of movies. <laughs> yes. Well, and that's one that I'm, I'm, I'd have to rewatch, but I'm quite sure that it features at least one scene with at least two named female characters talking to each other about something other than a man. Like I, I think most it passes of the scenes. Yeah. The Bechdel Wallace test with flying colors. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, well, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna pass the end of this episode with flying colors. That's a horrible phrase, but we're running out of time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Our self-imposed deadline has almost arrived. <laughs> well, one of us has some punching to do, so <laughs> I have to punch some bread down. <laughs> you stupid Which bread! I could run and do, but <laughs> Stevie, what do you want to plug? Well, Chris, 
<laughs> uh, I would like to plug my web series, Honestly Charlotte, which you can find at honestlycharlotte.com. Uh, anything else I'm doing will probably turn up on my website, which is steviejackson.ca. Uh, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Stevie KJ. Chris, what would you like to plug? You can find all of my writing and various other shenanigans at my website, ChristopherRoyce.com. Uh, come say hi on Twitter, Chris M. Royce. Uh, you can follow the show at Buds W or Boards or find us at <laughs> BuddiesWithoutBorders.tumblr.com. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you for staying subscribed. Thank you for rating and reviewing and telling a friend. That's all for us. We'll talk to you next time. Wakanda forever. <laughs>